the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And it's great to be with you today. We've got some great guests. We will get to them in just a moment. Uh, We will catch up with our old friend Todd Benzman about what's happening at the border. And also we will uh, visit with John Schlafly. He's got a new column out. All of that and more coming up. But first, well, what you need to know today, Republicans, well, they'll, they'll always let you down. They'll always let you down. I don't know if there could be a set of issues that is more galvanizing for the public right now than what's happening in this country. We have inflation out of control, energy costs out of control. We have supply chain things happening. We have a a president who seems to be talking past the public. He seems either clueless or out of touch. We have wars in the world, in the Ukraine, where it looked like we were going to fight there or something, and now we're not. And the world is looking up going, you know, what is this halfway in, halfway out? All kinds of things happening. And somehow in the midst of that, The Republicans in the U.S. Senate can do the one thing that would dishearten their own people kind of 100%. And it doesn't even matter what the details are. It just matters that Republicans in the Senate, U.S. Senate, have announced that they came up with a deal on gun control. They're going to expand some registration. I don't even know. I don't even know what's in it. I just know that somehow when the when the Democrats and the media demand something uh, nine times out of 10, maybe seven times out of 10, Republicans will resist. But three out of 10 times they fall for it and they decide that they have to do something in order to appease the media and the left. And here's an example of it. And so if it wasn't bad enough that they're doing some kind of gun control bill, What became clear to the public and was reported quickly on the press was on the floor of the Senate. They said there's never been in in a year and a half since Joe Biden got in office. There's never been such collegiality. All the senators are getting along again and they're flashing the thumbs up sign at each other and they're jockeying and jocular and laughing and ha ha ha. There even was a report, which has now been uh, denied. It's not been denied. It, it, it's been admitted, but they say it's a, it, he said it's a joke. Senator Cornyn, who from Texas, again, Republican from Texas. I don't know why he thinks he's got to be a guy that sort of goes soft on these issues. He's the one leading the charge on the gun stuff. And he said to one of his colleagues on the floor of the Senate, <laughs> we're having a good time. <laughs> he said, you know, we'll go do amnesty next. First guns, then amnesty. <laughs> and Kristen Cinema of Arizona said, yeah, we will. And she's, of course, a swing vote in a lot of times. And so here's the point. Now they've denied it. Everybody says it was a joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. Republicans, when they're clear of their primaries, most of them are, or they're retiring, they will go for all of this swamped up stuff. They will fall for the narrative machine, which pounds into their heads that you're a bad guy, a bad girl, a bad senator, a bad person, bad leader, if you don't do some kind of gun control. 
And so that's what happened. And here's the things you, here's what you need to know. One, the base is going to be really, really mad. Now they may get over it, a lot of them, but more and more people are saying to themselves, we can't get Republicans who will fight on the things we know are real. January 6th prisoners, the, the culture wars that are happening, abortion. They, uh, the Republicans always kind of have a way to dance back from the edge. And, but so more, more, there's, there's more Republicans, there's more MAGA, especially Americans, who are just saying, I'm done with the party. But here's a bigger problem. Do you recognize the preview? Do you recognize the preview of what is likely to happen in January of 2023? If there is a U.S. Senate that's controlled very narrowly, say by five votes by Republicans, and a President Biden, which will be there, a Democrat, and let's say there's a Republican House, the same people that are selling out the American people on the gun deal will be in a position to say, and they'll be giving cover. They'll be saying, Schumer will be saying, you know, well, I can get you 20 votes and you go like this and we'll do some of these things. We'll do some, we'll do some of the green new deal, not the bad, not the really bad stuff, but some of the stuff that gives away a bunch of money. We'll do, we'll do some more COVID spending and, and you Republicans, you can run cover for us and then Biden will sign it. And you can say things like, look at how bipartisan we are. Look at how much we get along. That's what the preview should be. And the big one will be that for a decade, certainly a decade, about that, maybe a little more, the big moneyed interests that used to back the Republican Party uh, more than they did the Democrat Party, but now they backed everybody, that wanted amnesty for illegals, that wanted the open borders, now they'll be in a position where in January, you'll get Republicans in power, and they'll say, well, we, we're not going to get any real pro-life legislation passed because Joe Biden said he'll veto it. Oh, we're not going to get any real America first legislation passed because Joe Biden said he'd veto it. But you know what we can do? We, we can go ahead and get uh, those those dreamers, you know, those young people that came here and and these sad songs. We'll get that stuff done. And, and we will be faced with the prospect of amnesty and of you know, probably it'll probably be next. They'll do TPP. They'll go back and do trade deals. They'll probably go back. They'll probably go back on all these things. They'll, the Republicans will decide that they can be cover the, the neocon wars overseas. They've done that for massive spending. So from guns to amnesty to wars to what next? And here's the thing. When you look closely at this and what you need to know is This is where people really come to believe and see the sort of uniparty system where they basically use each other, the people in power, to stay within the rails of power. Because if you're if you're a U.S. senator, you still have influence over appointments, no matter whether you're minority or not. The House is a little different, but they they stay within these rails where everybody is getting more power. Everybody's getting wealthier. It's never personal for them. They're the ruling class. You don't get personal with the ruling class. And it's a disaster. So the gun cave, caving in on guns, is the perfect sort of opportunity to understand that this is a preview of what can come down the line, what will be coming down the line in January of 2020. 23. 
if we're not careful. And you could say, well, Blake Masters and uh, J.D. Vance, they might make it to the Senate. They don't want uh, these kinds of things. They, they'll, be in the, they'll be in the majority and they'll be able to be put in the minority. They'll be able to sort of manage because it'll be cobbled together and they'll be isolated. They'll be treated like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. And they won't be like, uh, they, I don't think that they'll be like Jeff Sessions, Senator Sessions in the past, who was really, really tough on these things. Ultimately, that's what we should fear. And uh, tomorrow, I think it's tomorrow, we're going to have uh, Mickey Kaus on. And Mickey Kaus had a tweet and said, stay paranoid. There ought to be T-shirts. Stay paranoid, especially when it comes to illegal immigration and, and, the, uh, and the reality of amnesty. Stay paranoid is the right message. What you need to know is stay paranoid. And I was on the phone with some great patriots, real great people who are so disheartened. They say the whole system's broken. Well, uh, true enough, but you got to keep fighting. You got to believe you can bring it back. And you got to believe that you can fight through it. And, you know, we're going to talk, I think tomorrow I'm going to talk with uh, uh, my friend Cynthia Hughes about the, the uh, Patriot Freedom Project, which I'm helping her with, and how to help stand up for the, the, the defendants, the January 6th defendants who are stuck in jail. They're stuck in jail. And there's like one or two members of the Republican caucus in the House that are fighting MTG and Louis Gohmert. That's it. Stay paranoid, my friends. <laughs> we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. John Schlafly off the air, just screaming at the microphone, ready to talk today. John Schlafly, of course, writes a weekly column over at townhall.com, our sister site, and it's archived at phyllisschlafly.com. He's all torqued up, uh, John is right now, about well, about the travel. You're worried about the travel planes being canceled. We got uh, inflation at almost 10%, and you're worried about uh, planes being canceled, John? Well, I think a lot of people are, you know, have been chomping at the bit to hit the road, get out of town and so forth. And the, you know, airline travel is picking up and people are only are finding that, you know, planes are being, I mean, flights are being canceled. Why are they being canceled, uh, by the way? Un, what is it? What's, what's the un- story? Unexpectedly. What is the story and, here? You know, Wh- there's why? Not, we haven't, we haven't had any tornadoes or bad weather or, uh, you know, other those obvious reasons for flight cancellations. But what we have had, Ed, are shortages of staff throughout the system. And there's been um, absence, unexpected absences of uh, pilots, of flight attendants, of air traffic controllers. And, um, and that's what the airlines say. They're not saying why employees are not showing up to work. But, I mean... One reason for that is certainly obvious, and that is people who are resisting the the, the mandates to get vaccinated, uh, which is being which is unrelentingly imposed by the public health bureaucrats under the direction of Joe Biden. Uh, but why? I wonder why it's hitting now. To, I, 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 you, you know what I mean? You know, why is it popping now? Um, is it just because there's an uptick? It felt like there was an uptick in the last three months just based on people finally getting out from under uh, things. Is I, I, it's, it's odd to me. It, let me say it this way, John. We're talking with John Schlafly. John writes the weekly column, the Schlafly Report, over at townhall.com and uh, archived at phyllisschlafly.com with his brother, Andy. feels like, like a lot of just basic stuff just isn't working. 
You know, we can't, our, the, the supply chain isn't working well. I mean, baby formula, we're America, for goodness sake, right? And we, we got, um, suddenly we got planes being canceled. We've got, um, you know, t- complete dysfunction it, it, or worse in the media. Um, I, I just don't understand why it's all happening at once. It feels like that, at least. Well, I think you, I, I agree with you, Ed. I have a sense of that, that things that we used to count on in America are not working well. Things are breaking down and um, uh, things are unexpectedly popping up. The baby formula issue is kind of a unique situation. Uh, and I, I, I was surprised to discover, maybe, maybe you were, I mean, who knew that uh, 50% of the infants and newborn children in America were being fed by the federal government yeah. through the, the yeah. WIC program. I mean, right. I didn't know that. No, but, me neither. But the, what's <clears throat> happened is that the, you know, unbeknownst to most of us, um, the WIC program had a, has a convoluted system in which only uh, two or three companies and uh, basically supply all formula. And there's only one company in each state which has essentially the monopoly and there's one factory in Michigan that supplies, you know, 20 states. I mean, and um, so that's it. And when that plant went down and remained down for about five or six months before anybody realized it, and then suddenly there's no formula in stores. Uh, you know, so I agree with you, Ed. We get a sense that nobody is in charge yeah. in our country. Well, and a lot of things just feel like they, I mean, I, I, again, you and I both are sort of um, well-known as supporters of President Trump and his policies, but it felt like he was sort of always optimistic, always positive. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll break records. Well, this, you know, everything is sort of just so, so, but back, John, for a second, uh, is it your assertion and do you, can you see enough to think this is going to be predictive that, that this transportation crisis is based on the the uh, COVID and the vaccine. I mean, uh, some of these vaccine mandates are going away completely, aren't they? Uh, well, um, the point I think is that uh, the the they, I don't. There is true. There have been a couple of court decisions uh, that have gone in favor of the challengers. But the government has not given up right. on the mandates at all. And, you know, just look at Dr. Fauci. Um, you know, he's not giving up. In fact, uh, they, uh, they're rolling out a vaccine now for small children under age five. Now, why are they doing that? You know, at this point, uh, the, the vaccinations that, first of all, I guess about two thirds of Americans are fully vaccinated and the other third are not. Uh, but the vaccinations wear off. And um, at some point, the two thirds of Americans who are supposedly fully vaccinated are going to be told that they have to, will have to come back and get another shot. And so this whole issue is not going away. And the idea of vaccinating one, two, three, and, and four-year-olds is the leading edge of that. And there's this uh, pressure campaign, mothers of young children to come get their babies vaccinated. Uh, how crazy is that? 
Yeah. Um, John, let me change gears for a second. I'm, I'm looking at uh, social media. I know you're not a great user of social media, although you peruse in there a bit. And uh, Mike Cernovich, who's been at one of our Eagle councils a few years ago, he tweeted this. Russia looks stronger than ever to anyone not sucking the pacifier of Western propaganda. My country, the USA, has been humiliated. Hard to recover such a destruction of image. Never look weak. That's rule number one of the real world. Now, Cernovich is not exactly somebody that's been um, pro-Trump or even anti-Biden uh, dramatically. I mean, he has an economy and all. But, uh, John, is that what's your assessment of, of what's going on in Ukraine and Russia now? Well, the, America's attention span is short. I mean, we all have to admit that. And um, so, you know, there was a, a bit of hysteria in the first few weeks of the war, but that has faded. And... It's now down to a slog. And uh, slowly, at great cost, Russia, I believe, is seems to be consolidating its control of the eastern regions of Ukraine. And uh, so it's going to basically mop up when all this is over. Of course, the country is a wreck. It's a s- catastrophe for the people who live there and for the breadbasket of the world. And you know, a number of countries critically dependent on wheat and cooking oil and fertilizer from Ukraine. And there's a serious, there's going to be a serious risk of starvation in countries like Egypt because those supplies have been cut off. And uh, in the meantime, NATO is getting ready for its uh, summit meeting next week. And, uh, The question is whether the appetite will be there to admit new countries to NATO and basically double down on the war against Russia. And can 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 is NATO? Do I recall NATO correctly, though? Can uh, one of the members uh, uh, veto it? Can't Turkey say no? And that keeps everybody out. One member can. I mean, NATO, like the European Union, operates by consensus Uh And and consensus is, you know, the way these global governance uh, organizations work is basically the staff produces a proposal and everybody rubber stamps it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's never really any, they, they don't believe in taking, you know, a roll call vote like we're used to in our Congress. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when one country says they do, really do not agree with that, you know, that causes the whole organization to go slow, into slow a down. Right. and basically they have to buy off the dissenters. Oh, I see. That's what they'll do. Okay, so that's what Turkey. All right, John. Uh, John Schlafly, last question. I don't want to run out of time. Uh, I don't know. Have you watched much of the select committee, the January 6th select committee, uh, the propaganda show trials? Uh, have you watched much of it? And and what's your sense of it? I, I have said before on the air that uh, I, I find it very I find it despicable and un-American and nasty and terrible, but I think it's actually very effective. Um, it's it's propaganda at its sort of finest. Uh, what what are your thoughts? Have you watched much of it? No, well, I, I have I have not watched it. I think most Americans realize most Americans have watched trials, and now that many courtrooms mm. have camera, now that we have cameras in the courtroom in many places, and we just had an. We've had a number of exciting trials that have drawn public attention. Most recent one being, uh, I guess, um, 
Amber, you know, the, the libel case involving uh, Amber Heard and, uh, and a, a number of others. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, Americans understand the importance of cross-examination of witnesses and the fact that both sides get their say. And through the, uh, the, the contest between the two sides, you know, the public or the jury can understand what the truth was. And none of that is happening in the January 6th so-called hearing. And you, and you, th- totally you, one-sided. you think that the American people or the people in general see the difference in, that, in, that, in this I case? Do. Yeah, I, I do. Because I think there's an instinctive understanding among the American people uh, who have who most most Americans have watched trials and they realized what a true and legitimate hearing or trial is supposed to look like. And this is not it. Boy, I, I, that's very uh, that's optimistic, John. I'm, I'm impressed of your optimism. I, I don't. Um... I don't know that I share it. I just I'm just find it so overwhelming how uh, powerful the uh, the um, the propaganda machine is. You know, big tech and big media working together. All right, John. Last question: You got any Trump updates for us? Does he have any upcoming rallies? Is he uh, surging? What do you got on Trump for me? Uh, well, I guess his most recent one was not really a rally, but he he addressed a large meeting of Christian evangelicals in Nashville, and. Uh, you know, they, that's for those who missed it. You can go back and watch it. Uh, you know, he was uh, vintage Trump, I would say. Yeah. Uh, uh, getting back in, clearly running. Yep. Getting back in game shape. All right. John Schlafly, the Schlafly reports over at townhall.com. And you can also uh, go over to phyllisschlafly.com. Thank you, John, as always. And uh, we will take a break and we'll be back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, Time to catch up with our old friend Todd Benzman. He's the Senior National Security Fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. Check him out over there. Hey, Todd, I was looking and thinking of you as I was reading coverage of the border. Um, One of the recent uh, articles is out of Politico, where they're bemoaning the fact that one in three migrants hard hired held in the border facilities is a minor and they're going back to 2017. Is that the news here? Is, I mean, is that news? Well, uh, you know, the media, the corporate media has always been mainly obsessed with the children and the processing of children, uh, which I think ignores the broader story, which is that the children are there as part of the greatest mass migration emergency in the nation's history. Uh, So they're kind of zooming in on this tiny little speck of the story uh, and missing the broader forest, I guess. Uh, But Mm. yeah, I mean, listen, um, the reason why there are, uh, it's it's a little bit complicated, but the reason why there are unaccompanied minors, 240,000 have come in in the last 16 months. Uh, That is because of Washington policy. They agreed to take in family units, family groups, when the children Mm, are under seven years old. Right. seven. So any family that's got kids older than that, just send their older kids in and they get in. They just get a pass right through. And it just directly caused a quarter of a million 
teenagers to cross into the cross into the country. Hmm. Wow. That's, um, that's the explanation. That's, I mean, that's, that's a quick one. Yeah. And well, that's the way to understand it. I mean, that's the whole, the whole thing. All right. So back to Todd Benzman, national security uh, fellow center of immigration studies, CIS.org. Todd down on the border. Now we've talked last week, but I mean, it's a week later. Um, Where are we? What's happening? And uh, is there any, I mean, I I always do this to you, but is there any hope? But tell us what you're seeing at the border right now. Huge, huge numbers just escalating, ever escalating. We had the biggest uh, month in American history in May with 239,000 apprehensions at the border. Uh, The greatest percentage of those ever were actually allowed into the country. More than 50% of them actually were paroled in. The rest get 42 back to try again and again. But the, the... the numbers and the chaos and just the sheer scale of everything uh, is, you know, way up in la la land here. Uh, now it's just as bad as it could possibly be. There are car chases everywhere all the time. All these little towns up and down the border, all the way out to California are um, engaged in these kind of crazy car chases. And uh, you have, uh, people who are trying to get away from border patrol so that they don't get 42 back and criminals and um, terrorists. Now we had um, a new report out that in the month of May, we had 15 uh, suspected terrorists on the FBI's watch list cross in just that one month. Uh, that's in a normal year. Uh, that's the number in a normal year, 15 or 20 in a year, Mm. not a month. And that adds to the 50, uh, the number 50 for just this year of people on the terror watch list crossing. Uh, Again, we're talking with uh, Todd uh, Benzman. So is there, is there a crisis point that we can reach or we just sort of, is this the new normal? Well, yeah, I, I honestly, I think this is, this is the new normal. I mean, until, they lift the rest of 42. Uh, the, the, I mean, we're going to see, we're going to see, you know, something far greater than where we are now. Once they do lift 42, it's still in place by a court order. However, uh, we're starting to see more and more cross because they, the administration has continued to carve out exemptions for for 42. So now you're getting a lot more uh, single adults being let in to the country, whereas they used to be 42. So Cuban, single Cubans and Venezuelans and Colombians, Somalis, uh, people from all over the world who used to get 42 back are now being let in. I saw it myself the last time I was down there a few weeks ago, being put on buses and shipped to all four corners of the country whereas they used to be turned back. So this huge migrant caravan formed up a couple weeks ago, and it was no coincidence that 85, 95% of them were the nationalities that the Biden administration carved out exemptions for. Mm. They all know if you're of a nationality that's getting let in, you're coming. And so they just can't seem to, or maybe they do understand that when they want, you know, 
tens of thousands of Venezuelans, all they have to do is just let a few in. And then tens of thousands are going to come, or maybe they haven't figured it out. I can't tell. But the numbers are, you know, 8,000 a day now. I think we're up to about 8,000 a day. Um, we were at 7,000 a day last month. And uh, just 5,000 and 6,000 before that. So it just seems to be stair-stepping ever skyward. I, I wish I had good news. I, I think it's just going to get worse from here before it gets better. But is there a point, a breaking point where the, it's, I mean, you, you're describing what lawlessness sounds like, right? It's not, that's not, there's no, you don't have to look for anything. They're already having car chases and all these things. But is there a point where, I don't know, people are dying in the, in the a crossing and therefore, or, or, you know, or something that brings us to a, a, a crisis point? Uh, I mean, the best answer I can offer for that is that the Democrats lose terribly in the upcoming elections because of this issue. And that, you know, if they remain, want to remain in power for another term, 2024, uh, and regain the House and the Senate and all the rest of that, 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 that then they would have to change, uh, change policy. But I, I, I can't imagine any kind of catastrophe uh, that would force them to, I mean, maybe a terror attack, uh, mm. you know, I don't know. I mean, nothing mm. seems to phase these people. Yeah, it sure. Um, it they just sure, seem to be perfectly fine with it. It is um, any response from when you talk to customs, uh, border enforcement, the, the uh, law enforcement, I mean, it, it's got to be an almost impossible situation, right? I mean, they, they, they must, you must be hearing like, uh, you know, from them saying, you know, we're in, a, we're in sort of the no win, the ultimate no win situation, or are they stepping back saying, you know, if it's going to be chaos, we'll just let it be chaos. Well, I, I hung up with a border patrol agent to take, to do this, to do this interview. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I'm on the phone with him all the time. And uh, this particular agent is in a kind of a remote area of the border. I won't say exactly where, but, um, but it's a, a spot that is usually quiet, relatively quiet, historically quiet. And it's just not. They're just getting, uh, you know, huge groups through there, just uh, coursing through, pouring through. And he was telling me that, you know, all of his buddies have been transferred to South Texas to do processing duty. So he says, like, they don't have anybody. Mm. It's just like nobody. He's like, nobody here. We don't have mm. anybody. We can't we can't do our jobs. So, um, yeah, it's uh, I mean, again, this I, is 10 minutes ago. Yeah. I, I what I just what I wonder if they're you know, you sort of look at it and you say, OK, the trend line is this way. It's been going like that for months. We're, again, we're talking with Todd Benzman, who's the Center for Immigration Studies, uh, Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org and uh, their National Security Fellow. We've been watching the trend line go for six months saying, well, this is where we are. And you wonder if like, you know, does it have an end? And if there is there some crisis now, as you point out, maybe it's electoral, it's a political, but I don't know why I in a way I don't know that that you know there'll be a fight over the budget there'll be a fight over some policies but the executive branch doesn't seem to be responsive to congress anyway on this kind of thing so i'm not sure that solves anything well i had a theory for a while that they cared uh and were worried about the issue the mid the midterm elections right that they we would start to see some policies that would drive the numbers down 
but it's just been the opposite. It's just the policies just keep driving the numbers up. So I, I don't know. I, I'm wrong. I'll just say I was wrong. I thought maybe they were going to, they were going to, you know, do some things, but, but doesn't you know, look like it. it doesn't look like it. Hmm. I, I don't see, I don't see them changing uh, anything. You know, we talked before on this program, they were sending flights back, ice air back right. to, uh, and you know, those are kind of dried up now. You know, they're not doing, I thought that th- that, that would shock, uh, uh, shock yeah. people yeah, make people realize. Uh, yeah. I, I guess the, um, I guess they're just, I, I mean, I guess they're hoping it stays under the radar, right? I mean, it doesn't. And let me ask you about that. Is there much, uh, is there growing coverage? I mean, I, I hate to say it, but since it is turning into such a disaster, you would think that would sort of get some attention. It's not getting much more attention though, is it? No, not really. Like you, like we said, it's it's kind of become the new norm, uh-huh. and you don't see the administration going down there or worrying itself. You don't see, but I, you know, here's here's what I think is going on though is this this period reminds me of 2015 when Donald Trump was entering the ring and was campaigning on the wall and all this immigration stuff. And found huge purchase with it. People, people cared on both sides of the aisle and voted for him on this and took the Democrats by a terrible surprise in 2016, as we know. And it was all on this immigration issue. And I think the Democrats are just repeating the same mistake. They're mm. just like, oh, this won't. Uh, yeah, but they're going to they're going to get, you know, cleaned up. In well, the but but but, but the difference the difference, Todd, is. I don't really see uh, the Republicans necessarily grasping the issue. They're happy to have dissatisfaction run against the ruling party. But is there any is there any sense that it's being championed as the issue of the fall or a main issue? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, the polling, first of all, the polling, there's a lot of that out right now. Uh, And we'll see even more of it. But the polling shows very consistently that. This issue ranks high, high, one, two, and three, one, two, or three among Republicans. Uh, so this is a this is a very significant issue. There are there are significant blocks in the House that are incredibly energized and motivated by this issue. They cannot wait for the midterms. I think they're gonna do something finally on all of this. There's enough of them. Mm. I was at the Texas um, Republican Party convention in Houston just this past week, and they booed John Cornyn off the stage. Right. And part of it was because he took some positions on on guns, but it's also because he has been totally silent about the immigration issue and the border, and he's a Texas senator. Mm-hmm. And I believe that he heard that boo, and so did everybody else heard that boo loud and clear, at least in this state. Um, the other thing is that, um, you know, the governor of Texas, Abbott, has done some kind of interesting out-of-the-box things, uh, you know, shutting down Mexico's bridges, taking things into his own hands and warning them that he's going to shut trade off into the United States if if they don't start doing operations and this last week or so 
he did it again. He, he said, hey, I'm going to shut the bridge down if you don't shut, you know, if you don't break up the caravan that's coming. Mm. And they did, he did, he did manage to get them uh, to act. Get, get them to act. They did operations. They're still doing them even now. Huh. I don't think that they were a hundred percent effective, but I don't something. think that the governor, I don't think the governor would be doing that if he didn't think there was some political upside. Yeah. Know, yeah. Necessity. Yeah. Or, yeah, ne- yeah. Hmm. All right. Um, Todd Benzman. Well, listen, that's as always it right now, it sounds pretty daunting, but hang in there and uh, hopefully like what we can't see uh, will still come, I think. And maybe it is the election, as you point out, that will echo 2016. So hang in there and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Todd. Todd Benzman, everybody. CIS.org. CIS.org. Down there on the staff page, you'll see his writings. uh, Very valuable. And we will take a break and come back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Dangerous jobs tend to pay better, and they ought to. The workers are risking bodily harm, sometimes even death in these jobs, and we are grateful that some are willing to do this. The Department of Labor has done studies showing that less than 1% of the workers in these dangerous fields are women. Understandably, women are less likely than men to put their lives on the line in order to earn a paycheck. Women who have children may feel their first obligation is to their children. The occupation of roofing is a very dangerous job, but only about one-half of one percent of roofers are women. This means for every 500 roofers, only one is a female worker. Logging is the most dangerous job of all. It requires using machinery to chop down trees, often in bad weather, and then trimming and assembling the logs for transportation to refiners and paper mills. Logging jobs are open on an equal basis to men and women. Federal law prohibits any workplace discrimination against women, and the Equal Pay Act of 1963 ensures equal pay for equal work done by women. The average salary of a logger is nearly $15 an hour, which is better than the pay in other jobs like fast food or at Walmart. Ten percent of loggers make more than $52,000 a year, which lots more than receptionists make. But logging is hard, risky, and often unpleasant work. Less than 1% of loggers are women. It's not due to any discrimination that most women dislike those dangerous jobs. There were more than 4,500 workers who lost their lives on the job in the United States in 2015. And there's nothing unfair about men making more in those jobs than women make in safer jobs. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For more than 50 years, Phyllis led the fight against the dead-end road of radical feminism. Today, with the rise of so many savvy young conservative women, new voices are emerging. You're invited to voice your opinion on what's really important to women at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We got to wrap things up today. Let me finish with this story. Have you heard about this story? Uh, Montpelier, James Madison's home, his uh, home and estate, which has been in the last 40 years, been restored and is extraordinary. If you've never visited Montpelier, it's really amazing. He, uh, The upstairs room where he did a lot of his writing is there. Um, it, it's captured. I think he probably, that was the room that, at least now they have bookshelves all around it. I think that is accurate to the time, but it's an extraordinary. Montpelier down near Orange, Virginia, in Orange, Virginia, actually. Well, the Montpelier Foundation, because... It is true that James Madison had slaves. Um, they have been under pressure to diversify their board. And so there was a Montpelier Descendant Committee, which is made up of people who I guess are descendants of slaves from there. They demanded that they get, um, that they get, um, uh, the, um, uh, members on the board of the Montpelier Foundation and, um, what happened was the board decided instead of just giving them nine of the 20 people be put forward, they gave them 11. And so the Montpelier Foundation is now completely controlled uh, by people who are upset and influenced by the 1619 Project and all that CRT stuff. So you can expect that Montpelier will now become, a, you know, a uh, political uh, football and more likely than anything, it will be a... Um, mess is my opinion uh so that's disturbing disturbing you check that out it's a bad sign all right we got to run thank you as always to noah dingley our great uh, producer uh joanna spilger for associate producing and for all of you for listening we'll be back tomorrow it's ed martin here on a pro america report talk to you then this is the pro america report on the answer san diego Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.